Thanks for listening to the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry. Here to help educate, motivate, and put you on the right path to take control of your health through weekly discussions on topics in the medical field, public health arena, and in your community. And now your host, Dr. Barry. What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Dr. Barry Pierre, your favorite board-certified internist, founder of drpierreblog.com, as well as the host of Lunch Learn with Dr. Barry, your number one podcast for patient advocacy, helping you empower yourself for better health. This week, we bring you episode 81, aptly titled, What Happens When Your Patient Overdoses? This is part two. We didn't call it part two, right? But this is part two of... The episode last week, episode 80, where we talked about pain control, where we talked about physician fears. And on today's podcast, I want to talk about a real life situation, right? Not the hypothetical situation of a fear that a physician may have, right? We're going to talk about a real life situation that happened to yours truly in regards to patient medications, overdosing, and we're going to hear about some of the feelings I had kind of associated uh, with the event, right? Just so you understand that as a physician and pain control, it's a it's a tough road for both the physician and the patient. And there's definitely real life consequences associated with whatever decision is made, right? So episode 81, what happens when your patient overdoses? And we're going to get uh, the show notes as always on lunchlearnpod.com or if you want head over to drpsblog.com forward slash llp081 and I, I want to read another five star review uh, before we start the show awesome podcast i love listening to dr ps podcast he's very knowledgeable informative i encourage others to listen right and i encourage others to listen to right like if you listen to the podcast i remember definitely before you finish to subscribe to the podcast so you'll always be up to date on all of dr barry's podcast right further ado let's get into it episode 81 what happens when your patient overdoses with dr barry this episode is brought to you by the Lunch and Learn Community Store, where we are living out the motto, empower yourself for better health. In the Lunch and Learn Community Store, you can get your favorite t-shirts, ebooks, as well as other related products by Dr. Barry. Head over to shop.drpiersblog.com and get a chance to get 10% off your first purchase by using the coupon code EMPOWER10. Again, shop.drpiersblog.com. Live out the motto, empower yourself for better health. So following last week's discussion where I talked about some of the reasons why physicians may be scared to take care of their patient's pain, I did want to kind of touch on a personal note, right? Because I think it's interesting when we see these stories about pain control and lack thereof. And, you know, we talk in conjecture about the fear that and we talk in, you know, hypothetical situations about the fear that physicians may have. But, you know, I've again, I've been a attending physician for about four years now, going on five years. And I've had my share experiences, even as a quote unquote young physician that, you know, I, I think holds true to this topic that we have at hand, 
Like I remember when I first got out of residency, a young physician, and I was joining a practice, a group practice, where my other physician colleagues didn't want to prescribe controlled medications, didn't want to prescribe those pain control medications, those anxiety-related medications, right? They stayed away from it. And for the most part, it was this sense of fear that they had, like we discussed in episode 80, that said that they didn't want to be responsible for anything that may go wrong, right? So they were okay with putting off care and deferring it to someone who is quote-unquote certified to deal with it, whether it be a psychiatrist, whether it be a pain management specialist. They, they were okay passing the buck, per se. Like, and that, that's a, I hate to say passing the buck because it's not as if they're passing responsibility, but honestly, that's kind of what they're doing. You know, they're saying, you know what, I'd rather have a psychiatrist take care of it. I'd rather have a pain management take care of it. Instead of doing something that they can easily do themselves. Again, when you become a physician, when you're allowed to prescribe medications, uh, for the most part, you can prescribe just about any other medication that someone else can, right? Again, there are their exceptions. Um, I know marijuana, especially I'm in the state of Florida. So marijuana being one. Um, Suboxone therapy, which is... Uh, medication that's actually used for opioid dependence, right? To get people off of opioids. That's another one that you have to have a special license, right? For for the most part, you could pretty much prescribe any medication that most other physicians can. So here I was going into a practice, the youngest physician, and none of my partners wanted to prescribe medication that could alleviate the symptoms that their patients were dealing with, whether it be anxiety, whether it be pain control. And here I am. I'm a young physician, so hey, I'm I'm kind of gung ho. I'm ready. I'll take care of them. I'll, let me see. Show me all of those patients. Send them to me, and I'll take care of them. Because you know, I've, I had a a willingness to want to take care of my patients, especially because the population that I took care of didn't necessarily have the means to just be able to go to one referral after another. Again, um, I, I deal with a lot of the uh, managed care plans at the time, and you know, to see me, it may cost $25, right, from a copay standpoint, but to see someone else, it costs $75 to $100 standpoint, right? And I was very aware the price difference of going to see their primary physician, who was I, versus seeing a, a specialist. And because I was so keen at that, I always tried to avoid, whenever I could, sending my patients to the subspecialist because I knew that it was going to end up costing them in the long run. And for a lot of my patients, they didn't have that necessary disposable income to deal with. So I, I took care of those patients. I prescribed the medications, especially because, again, I remember, again, one day, like I remember I was I was taking care of a patient of mine and she just came to the office in agony, came to the office in pain, tearful, just crying in the exam room. And reason being is that she was unable to afford to see her pain management doctor the week or so prior. So her medications had run out and she had no way to treat her pain. So here she was. This is my patient, you know, who I'm primarily responsible for, crying in agony, crying in tears, not because she, quote unquote, lost her medications or she took too many. No, she was taking them right on their scheduled time, but she couldn't go see the pain management doctor because it was too expensive for her to do so. So again, I, I felt obliged. I said, you know what? It's cheaper to see me. 
So I'll take care of it for the next two weeks, and then I'll have you follow up with your pain management afterwards. And I'll give them a call because for uh, most who may not know, especially if you don't go see a pain management doctor, if you see one, a lot of them will have you sign a contract saying, hey, you can't get any other medications but for me for obvious reasons. So, you know, I gave the pain management doctor a call. He was okay with it, and, you know, I took care of my patient's pain and discomfort. But that that's was some of the, you know, the, the hurdles that you had to deal with, especially in the front line, right? As a internist and, you know, the primary provider for my patients, I was on the front line. So it was very difficult to see, you know, my, my patient in front of me, see my patient in agony, my patient in discomfort, and not willing to do anything for this hypothetical fear that something may happen to me, right? And when I say something may happen to me, right, the fear of a lawsuit. And in this day and age where physicians practice a lot of defensive medicine, they do it in spite of the patient's well wishes, right? In the in that sense, right, imagine if I was so fearful of being sued that I would say, you know what, hey, I, I see you crying, I see you tearing up, let me get you some Kleenex, but then I'm still going to need you to see a pain manager doctor when you can afford it, right? Like, imagine... Like that type of physician, you know, I would have been if that would have been my response, right? So and I just, I just knew that couldn't have been my response. So I, I, I took care of her and I took care of that pain, and you know, she was, she loved me for it. So I had, I had no issues for about two years, right? Again, I worked at my last job for a little over uh, two years until I moved on to a new one. And when I was with a new job, the job I'm at currently as a program director and a hospitalist. I got a phone call. I got a phone call from the police. It was pretty late in the evening. Um, probably not late in the evening, probably like 8, 9 o'clock. It wasn't too long. Right? But it, was, it was late enough that I, I remember, like, wow, why am I going to call this this late? And uh, I'm bad, right? Uh, I can tell you, like, I'm bad. Like, I saw the call the first time. I said, I don't know who this is. Let them go to voicemail. And then they called again, and they called again. And after the third time, I was like, okay, all right, this has got to be important because they, they're like double and triple calling me, right? Like, again, I've I've definitely grown up having to screen phone calls, right, in back in my day, right? So I pick up the phone, and it's it's this police officer who, you know, is a person who uh, addresses themselves as a police officer, and they say, do you know so-and-so? I'm like, yeah. Well, Dr. Pierre, I am sorry to inform you that so-and-so is dead. And, like, the state of uh, shock that I had, right, that, and it was a a weird sense of shock because it was a patient that I was, you know, very familiar with, right? The second they said, like, who that patient was, I, I knew exactly who that patient that they were referring to. So, very familiar with the patient just by name, and again, I had not even been with that group anymore, right? So it was a patient that I might not have seen in about probably like six to eight months, right? Uh, but uh, this was one of my uh, non-compliant patients, right? So they didn't see uh, patients, they didn't see their doctors as regularly as they should have. But it, it, it probably was like six to eight months, since, at least the last time I saw them. And I get the phone call, says that this person is overdosed and wanted me to see if I were going to be one side of the death certificate or who would be taking care of that, All right? So, you know, once I got the phone call, you know, I, I called my old job. I said, hey, just got a phone call, and, you know, so-so has passed away. 
and the, the cops feel that uh, it may be due to uh, drug overdose, right? Uh, just because of you know the stuff that they found uh, with uh, on on the patient at the time. Now, again, I, I want to tell you here on the Lunch and Learn that I I wouldn't be shocked, right? Like I want to tell you that I'm shocked that the, the patient they called me about died from a drug overdose, but I'm not I'm not unfortunately, right? It's it wasn't a surprise to me at all. In fact, once they called and told me that the patient passed away, I thought for sure that was like my first, boom, like overdose, right? Because the patient was young enough where I wasn't really concerned about an overt heart attack or overt stroke. Like they were they were young enough so that I thought, you know, if, if they're passing away this early, this sudden, um, I think drugs are involved. Because I remember, I remember this patient being, uh, one of my chronic pain patients, one of my patients who I would see every month, especially at that time where I would see patients every month, especially for my chronic pain patients, uh, for various reasons. Um, but I, I saw them every month, and they were take they were taking their pain medication, they were taking it religiously, and uh, it was just something that you know they were dealing with a previous injury. So it's been they were just in chronic pain, and they were always in pain. There was really nothing. Uh, additional that you could do about it. They had did the physical therapy. They even did acupuncture. Uh, you know, they worked out and they were still in so much pain and discomfort that they needed this pain medication to uh, treat their pain, treat their discomfort. And by, by the time they saw me, like that was the state that they were in. So when I, I got the phone call and I said, okay, um, thank you for letting me know. And um, I will let my old office know and, you know, we'll, we'll forward and, you know, we'll get in touch with any family that we can at the time. And I remember after the phone call, I just remember like this rush of like, wow, like so-and-so actually did it, right? Like I remember this rush of feeling like, all right, so this person is no longer here anymore. And the question was, is it partly due to medication that not necessarily I prescribed it? Because remember, I didn't see this patient for about six to eight months. But it was something that I was continually subscribing while I was taking care of them, right? Now, this patient, they had been taking pain medications before they saw me. So I was necessarily just kind of continuing on the pain medication they were on. But they still passed away from these, from something associated with these medications, right? Like it was still, you know, again, I still had like a fingerprint uh, in this patient's pathway of uh, eventually overdosing and dying. And it hit me, right? Like, I, I like almost like, you know, when that, when, when, you, when you, when you do something wrong and that person's like, I told you so, I told you, I told you so. Like, I remember like listening to, like, I remember hearing, uh, those voices in the back and I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't do it right now. I, no, I don't prescribe pain medication. You know, I don't want that to come back at me. Like, I just remember them kind of whispering in the background, now, again, again, I never felt any concern, right? But I still felt like this was a patient of mine. And even though that I was no longer seeing this patient, it was still a patient that I was taking care of, right? Still that, again, for the most part, again, I was the first physician they ended up calling because they had no information on who else to call, right? They saw one of the pain medication bottles that had my name on it, so they just called me because they figured I was their last uh, provider. So... The phone call, hang up the phone call, and you know after I'm I'm playing uh, those voices in my head, like I almost had to come into like this realization that there was really there wasn't anything I could have done any different, right? 
especially in, in Florida where we deal with a lot of rules and, you know, uh, mandatory requirements when you're taking uh, pain medication with a patient. Right? For example, I'll just give you an idea. Um, when you're, at least in Florida, at least most of the, most of the pain management docs, and it's what I usually do. Uh, when you're in Florida and you're on controlled pain medications, you have to see that doctor at least once a month. You cannot write for prescriptions longer than once a month. And you have this, all, all this has to be documented, right? You're, you're subject to random drug tests, right? That again, if I call you and I say, hey, I need you to do a drug test today, you can't say, hey, I'm out of town, I'll do it tomorrow, right? Because that's like a part of your contract says you, you are ready and willing to take a drug test whenever I say take a drug test, right? So again, uh, there are some times where I would, wouldn't test one week and sometimes um, I would test twice a week. Like it was just very random because I wanted to keep it that way, right? So Florida has a lot of rules. And, you know, regulations kind of associated with just prescribing pain control, right? So I, it never was a, like, a legal uh, concern of mine, right? But just more of a moral concern, right? It was from a physician standpoint where, you know, our goal is to do no harm. Here I have a patient who was in pain, was in agony, and the only way I could, you know, slow down the hurt that the patient was feeling was to continue the patient's medication, right? That was really the only way to do so. But in doing so, right, did I, you know, sow the seed, right, and enable, you know, what ultimately happened, right? And I, what tends to happen, especially for a lot of these pain control pain medications, is that uh, your body builds up a, a, a tolerance. Whereas before, when they used to take one medication, one pill, right, to deal with your pain, deal with your discomfort, and it would last for eight hours, right? All of a sudden, now it takes two pills to last for eight hours. And then it takes three pills to last for eight hours. And then, you know, that the body, and that's just the body building up its endurance against that medication, right? Again, I, I, I made an analogy on the last episode with cigarette smoking, right? Again, you smoke once, may not be a problem. You smoke a few times, your body starts recognizing like, hey, you know, I get a certain feeling when you smoke cigarettes. So what happens if you try to just quit cold turkey? Your body says, whoa, what's happening here? Where's that feeling that I'm used to? Like, you know what? I'm going to make you not feel good until you give me that feeling back, right? Like, that's what these, these pain medications do. At, at one point, they stop essentially treating the pain, but more so, you know, dulling the reaction to pain, right? So, yes, you have pain. You always have pain. But those pain medications help slow it down and help turn it to an, a gnawing sensation rather than the, the burning fire or whatever you want to describe it that aspect, right? So I think that's and that's kind of where you know the, the where we lead to, right? This is and this is like the this is exhibit A, right? Uh, the physician fear, right? This is exhibit A, right? Like I was taking care of a patient, was prescribing pain medication for a patient, and they overdosed on the medication I prescribed them. Like, what do we do, right? Like, what do we do when we know that medications that we are personally responsible for getting to the patient ends up causing their ultimate demise, right? Like, that is the dilemma, that is the issue, that is the concern uh, for a lot of physicians, right? So again, I wanted to make sure I followed up with last week's episode with a real life situation. So don't, so folks understand this isn't a uh, hypothetical concern of physicians out there. No, this is real and this is happening, especially in Florida. 
this is real, this is happening, and it's happening a lot. We are dealing with a lot of overdoses associated with opioid medications, benzo medications. We're dealing with a lot of, you know, untimely events associated with these medications. Even if it's not catastrophic like a mortality, right, but maybe they get injured. Maybe, uh, you know, they, 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 they fall and they break a hip, right? Like all of these things that can happen associated with medication that your, your pen is responsible for getting to them, right? So I, I think that's that's important, right? I think that is something that we need to really think about when we're as the patient, right? as a lunch learning community, right? When you see a physician who's apprehensive on prescribing your pain medication, prescribing your anti-anxiety medication, right? When you see a prescription that's hesitant to do those things, right? And they're saying like, no, you got to see a psychiatrist. No, you need to see a pain management specialist, it's not as if they can't do it themselves, right? You know, they could definitely do it themselves. They're definitely legally able to do it themselves, right? It's that fear that I don't want to be the one responsible, right? I don't want to be the one responsible for your pain and your suffering to continue. I don't want to be the one responsible for your pain and your suffering to ultimately cause you to possibly die, right? I don't want to be that responsible for it, so I'll just brush it off and push it to the next one. And I think as a physician, we have to be very mindful of that fear, right? Again, I'm not doing this episode because I want all my uh, primary providers to stop prescribing medications and, you know, send patients to the psychiatrist and the pain management specialist. Because first of all, there's not enough, right? Like you, like right now, I'm in South Florida where if you throw a rock, you're going to hit a physician's office. And there's still three, four week waiting times to see a pain management specialist, right? So... Again, we're not, I'm not encouraging that, but I am encouraging to understand that, you know, there's some real fears, there's some real concerns. And as a physician, you just need to be aware of them and be able to weigh the pros and cons, right? Like if you ask me, hey, Dr. Barry, would you go back and do it again? The answer is yes, right? Because I have to remember, you know, that patient, right? my lady patient who came in in agony, who came in in tears, right? Again, I'm the physician, I'm the healer. And my patient is in tears, crying, and obvious discomfort. And I say, you know what? Go to somebody else to take care of, right? Like, I it, I just, with my conscience, I couldn't do that. So, again, I would do, I would definitely do the same thing over again. It's just, the, the results are the results. It's just something that you're going to have to live with. And fortunately, in, in my training uh, as a physician, they, they allow me to live with a lot uh, of stuff that, you know, causes the ultimate demise, right? And um, I just want to end it, right? And just kind of following, it's, it's very funny, like right when we did the podcast last week, uh, an article came out in Reuters, uh, Reuters uh, Journal Magazine, which talked about suicide deaths and chronic pain, right? And these are just some some numbers, right? That again, I want us to wrap our heads about around when we talk about pain control and chronic pain. One out of 10 deaths were associated with patients with chronic pain. One out of 10, right? Mental health issues such as depression, anxiety, were all related. Mental health issues such as depression and anxiety were more common among those with chronic pain. Right. So again, I did, those. I just want to just think of those two kind of caveats, right? Like for all the people who commit suicide, chronic pain is a huge factor Again, about 10%, right, of those patients 
are have some type of associated chronic pain. 25 million adults in the U.S. suffer some level of daily pain, whereas 10.5 have 10.5 million of them suffer from considerable amount of pain every single day. Right? Like, imagine every single day you're dealing with a pain and discomfort. Every single day you're dealing with back pain. Every single day you're dealing with knee pain. Every single day you're dealing with foot and ankle. Like, remember, imagine every time you wake up. You're waking up with that same pain that you had the day before, right? Like, what would your mental psyche be knowing that when I wake up, I'm going to be hurting when I wake up? And the only way I can not hurt is if I take this medication, right? Like, that's that's putting yourself in the eyes of the patients, right? These patients are waking up with pain. These pa- they, They're not faking it, right? They're waking up with pain and discomfort and you're there to treat their pain, treat their discomfort, but you say, you know what, I don't want to do so because I don't want to get sued or because I think you're a drug addict or like, oh, whatever reason you may have, right? Allowing that, right, to be the driving force between you and your patient is something I think we we can no longer do. And again, I'm in Florida, I got to repeat that because uh, in Florida, they actually are going to start having, uh, like now, like if you want to prescribe those chronic pain medications, like you have to have gone to a, an additional class and say like, yes, I truly believe pain control is important. Um, yes, I will prescribe. Essentially, you're saying, yes, I am going to pres- have safe prescribing uh, tactics when dealing with pain control, right? Like that's essentially what the class you have to take is telling us right and and that's the issue right that we have to go to class after class to deal with a problem that's just continually get worse right again i want you to refer to episode 80 for some of the stats we talked about and in this episode we said 25 million daily pain 25 million folks are dealing with pain every single day 10 and a half of those million 10 and a half million are dealing with chronic pain that's even worse than just like the aches and the achy, achy joints, right? Ten and a half million more. And I think that's the number where I want to kind of leave you off with. And I want you guys to just kind of understand that tomorrow, the next day, next week, right? When you're having to go see your physician and you're in pain, you're in discomfort. Uh, now you kind of understand the psyche of not only the physician, but hopefully you'll understand uh, the psyche of everyone associated uh, with that that pain, whether it be your pharmacist. Because I've had plenty of, it's so funny, I've had plenty of pharmacists call me like, hey, Dr. Pierre, like I see you're prescribing this medication over here, but I also don't see you prescribing this other medication. And if you want me to fill it, right? Because again, I don't think people realize that the pharmacists have a uh, final say on whether you even get a medication, right? Um, whether you want me to fill it, like you need to do this and that, right? So again, there, this is a team effort. The the government has gone gung ho for the opioid crisis, for you know various reasons that you know we can probably discuss on a later podcast. And it's important to understand that uh, we're here to help. Uh, we're here to to get you better. And if you feel like you're running into roadblocks. Uh, Hopefully you can listen to these past two episodes and kind of understand why.
So that's it for today's episode. You guys have a great and blessed evening, and I'm going to see you guys. So that's it. <clears throat> that's it for today's episode. You guys have a great and blessed week, and I'm going to see you next time. Thank you for getting to the end of the show. I am your host, Dr. Barry Pierre, host of the Lunch Learner, Dr. Barry. And this is another amazing episode that we like to bring to you week after week on betterment of empowering yourself for better health today. If you have not had a chance, please go ahead and subscribe to the show. If this is your first time listening, if you already listen and you've already subscribed, make sure to leave me a five star review because your support is absolutely important in keeping the show moving as it is. And if you have not had a chance and you want to check out today's show notes, always head over to lunchlearnpod.com. That is lunch learn pod all in one word dot com and you can get the access to my show notes for every single episode but especially the one you just listened to and i'm gonna see you guys next week you guys be blessed bye